Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in The Cozy Corner. Welcome. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Joining me in the corner today is author Lynn Truss to chat about Psycho by the Sea, her latest constable twin mystery. Welcome back to the show, Lynn. Oh, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Psycho by the Sea is the fourth constable twin mystery. So would you please tell us what he's up to this time around? Well, um, we're going through the year, uh, month by month. So we started in July and it's now September, but it's very rainy. Um, so it's slight change of sort of temperature, <laughs> but it's still it's still the same farce, really. It's another farce. And, um, and this one, well, there are several elements, really. Um, God, it's hard to break it down. Really what's going on, is a lot to do with Mrs. Groins, the char lady who is pretends to be a char lady, but is actually a criminal mastermind. Um, there is someone out to get her, basically, and we don't know who it is. But but various things that happen indicate, you know, are, are build towards um, a big old climax, in which Inspector Steen, the, um, the 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 rather stupid man in charge of the Brighton Police Station, is under threat from a psychopath. Um, who is triggered, <laughs> it's very complicated, isn't it? He's triggered by um, the terrible memories in his past. He had an awful, awful episode uh, in which the colours black and white came, uh, were, were um, important. So he's, so we see uh, a plot, we see a plot, but I can't, I can't give too much away. It's difficult, it's difficult. The other thing that's in it that I, I'm very proud and pleased with is that every time for each book, I think, I like to think that Twitten, because I'm interested in Twitten's brain, Twitten is very clever and so on. And he's always abreast of the latest things going on in publishing and film and all that sort of thing, but mainly in, 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 scholarly, in scholarly circles. And he's very interested in a book that came out in 56 called Old 57 here, um, um, The Hidden Persuaders about the power of advertising and how advertising was used to manipulate people and how research was being done into what motivates people to do things. Um, why, why people will buy this one instead of that one. Sorry, that's my dogs. <laughs> in stereo. This one starts barking in here. So, um, um, and so that became an important theme as well in the book. Um, I think it should be a, a, a theme of all crime novels, really, motivation research, but um, but it's sort of very forefronted here that he's really interested in that in a sort of academic way. And then there are other people using exactly the same methods, but for crime. Um, and, uh, and really it's sort of how, it's just the same thing, really. Con artist and an, and an advertising person uses the same psychology. So, so it's quite cynical in that way. <laughs> Oh, that doesn't like it make it sound at all interesting to read, does it? Is it supposed to be funny? Is is the main thing? Hey, that, that's um, 
it was there really a book like that written in 56 or 57 that's that's fascinating yeah it's Vance Packard and it was it was a hugely influential book actually in the world of um, sociology and um yeah and it was it was about you know this this amazing new um new research into and so coming out of it it was around that time that they um and what was what is often attributed to the book is uh, the popularity of the idea of subliminal advertising um which was banned almost immediately afterwards i mean the, the people that he was writing about did attempt subliminal advertising and it was it was banned immediately um so um but i have i have again it's used in my plot someone trying to make someone do something by flashing images into a into a little film um but um, it's it's just jolly interesting, and it is it is basic psychology. But it was suddenly being applied in this cynical way to make people buy cars and things, you know. And it was seen as outrageous at the time. We now think it's of course we we accept it, don't we? Well, kind of, because we still seem. It's I guess I'm surprised that this was research from back in you know the 50s, because you've got documentaries now like the Social Network. You know, you've had. Uh, recent notorious events from various countries interfering in uh, channels to manipulate us. And it, it kind of seems like we are surprised every time it happens. But if someone wrote a book about it, what, more than half a century ago, you'd think it wouldn't be such a surprise anymore. It's like, well, duh. So that, that actually fascinates me that, hey, we've actually known this, it's just no one's seems to be paying attention or we just don't remember it. So that, that is, that's fascinating. Good, good. Now, I think that's one of the things about writing about the 50s is that it's, it's uh, obviously it's, it, I was born in 55, so I sort of remember a little bit about the 50s, but most readers will be, you know, bridging that probably some younger, some older. Um, but, but really it is about sort of saying the past is very like the, you know, is very like the present at the same time as it can really shock you um, in the attitudes, that, the certain attitudes. And of course, the ones I one I particularly focus on in the books is the attitude to women, um, because, and working class woman in particular, that means that my working class woman, master criminal, can get away with everything completely under everyone's nose because she's invisible to them. They don't rate her. They don't think she's important. They don't think she could be clever enough to do anything. So it's, it's she can carry on in plain sight because, you know, she just sounds like a cockney child woman and she behaves and she just, you know, just gives them cups of tea. And, and that means they, um, they, they don't see beyond it. So it's very enjoyable to play with something that's really actually quite awful <laughs> and turn it against the people, against people, um, makes her the, you know, triumphant. She'll always win out. She's a, she's a very smart woman. And actually, I was I was going to ask about that, so I'm, I'm glad you you brought it up. You know, another character is um this um your sec the secretary in the book um yeah. has a great deal of power and influence, which real secretaries have, but it's very easy to dismiss the secretary just as you know the the woman in the tie neck mm -hmm. blouse sitting there. Um, when truly a secretary um, can make your life miserable if you deserve it. Um, and there, there are many women in your book who are underestimated and you use that stereotype of, you know, women as not being taken seriously to, to very great effect. So it sounds like that was a, a conscious uh, uh, choice that you, that you made. 
Very much so, very much so. Yeah, she actually talks to, um, Mrs. Groynes has, has got a new sort of um, number two um, in, under her in this, in this book, um, Denise, who we've not met before. And, and she, one of the first things she ever says to her is, do people tend to underestimate you? And she says, oh, they're time. And she says, well, don't be angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's your gift. It's the most important thing, you know, let them underestimate you. Um, so, um, you know, but obviously that's working with the system as it was. <laughs> <laughs> and so to any uh, law enforcement types listening to this, stop underestimating women because we're getting away with a lot. <laughs> Um, another thing you use very effectively in your book um, is weather. You know, there's that, that old quip um, about, you know, never start a book with the weather, which I don't agree with because weather is a very <laughs> effective way to create a setting and, and build atmosphere. Um, yeah. And you do that very right on page one. Um, and yeah. the, the, the way you kind of juxtapose, I mean, you, know, you start out by saying somebody's missing and then talk about the rain. Uh, for the rest of the page but you know weather's weather and sports are the two things everybody talks about all the time so it's seems natural that you talk about it in your book um and it also gives you the I guess because it's in Brighton which if those of us in the U.S. think about it we think of it as kind of a summery beachy place so how's how's Brighton in the not summer different from the what we all think of it is so different I mean I think most seaside places get very seedy and horrible in the winter you know when the sun's not shining on there's very you know it's all it's very it's it's you know it's it's um, wafer thin you know the veneer on 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 Brighton seafront for example and you just think you know the moment the sun goes off it you can see that it's it's quite tawdry and needs a lot needs another coat of paint and um and so yeah and the wind comes in and so on I mean it's still quite it can be quite a sort of romantic thing to go to the seaside in winter but um and can be lovely but um but generally I think that that wasn't what I was going <laughs> for what I wanted because I had this retail as as my um as my sort of focus in this one about advertising and goods and because there was this massive consumer boom in the 50s late 50s so people who were working class like my family all did start buying usually on on higher purchase you know on credit sort of thing they would start buying um refrigerators and all this sort of stuff these a lot of which they'd seen on the tv from america you know and were thinking oh i wonder if he'll ever get one of those and so because there have been all those years of deprivation because of the war and rationing and so on then suddenly there was this great boom when people were there was a lot of manufacturing going on in britain lots and lots of factories around turning out stuff and and people were buying and and it was sort of very much the um um you know very important that people would have the shops so i one of the main the main um um focus of of the of the story one of the main focuses foci of the story is a is a department store in in brighton which i've invented um but from reading a lot about reading lots of adverts and things from that period um, for local shops, it cut, it sells everything in a way that we would now find a bit disgusting. You know, you've got sort of, they sell dog, you know, dog meat, you know, next to raziers, next to a shop that sells you stamps up to a place that, you know, does, you know, cookery demonstrations. Everything is just kind of higgledy-piggledy and everything you can think of is in the one, one store. 
um, which is how department stores used to be. Um, so it's got fashion and very practical staff, and you know you can buy a buy a ticket on an aeroplane or something, you know, to the to love or something. So it's it, I like the idea of this kind of you know thematic confusion of this shop and um, and how old fashioned it is. But um, I wanted a reason for everyone to be going there as well. And it's sort of September. Kids are going back to school. It's raining. You know, so the rain is quite a part of that, that you don't want to be on the seafront. You don't you don't want to be outdoors. You want to be in a shop and you want someone showing you how to make the latest thing. You know, a, you know, a sort of um, these ghastly things that people ate in the 50s. So that people are demonstrating these chicken Veronique, you know, in uh, on in, uh, in the sort of basement and stuff. So it's kind of nice. I, I, nice reason for everyone to go indoors if it's if it's raining. And it's mainly, it's not so many holiday makers. In the previous books, there have been a lot of crowds of, of, um, of people visiting. But in this, the focus is very much on people who, who live there, who live in Brighton. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, that was very, uh, very important. Now, uh, now with the um, holiday makers being gone, that presents challenges i know there, there's a there's an island here um mackinac island in michigan that um has oh, frankly horrible crowds in the summer because it's so popular but then in the winter the population drops to about 500 year-round residents so that would be it seems to be kind of challenging to set a mystery in a place where there actually aren't very many people and the people there probably know each other and so you know, it, it narrows your cast of suspects a lot. Was that, or, or on the other hand, was it a good opportunity um, for you? I agree. No, it wouldn't be the case with Brighton, though. It's still a big town, still a big town, and you know, it would sustain a big population all the time, really. So, um, but people have more, you know, I like the idea of the villains have got less to do, you know, because there are fewer people to steal from and stuff. So, um, I quite like the idea of them being sort of, you know, because that's how I started is that. You know, they're all just sitting in cafes waiting for it to stop raining. I go to the park, you know, because there's not, there's you know, nobody to pray on in the streets. So, um, so yeah, that's the. Um... <laughs> but anyway, you know, the police have always got plenty to do, and um, and we do have this um, um, American sociology professor who is murdered in in the department store, and that's all what sets the ball rolling, really. Uh, speaking of your 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 criminal elements, they're actually your criminal underworld is very sympathetically drawn. I mean, you can even argue that maybe that you know they're sort of the the focus of the story, even more so than the the law enforcement. Um, they're they're definitely fun, and frankly, they're the smartest people in the room. <laughs> uh, so, how did how did you approach sort of this uh, sort of this Sort of topsy turvy world where the you're really rooting for who should be the bad guys, um, and yet you're still a traditional mystery. It's not noir, so it's not you know you're not going in expecting the the bad guys to be triumphant. Um, but I mean, really, um, you know, you you want the, the bad guys to win because they're they're fun and they're smart and and everybody else is you know yeah. kind of annoying. <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit relative, isn't it? So I've got my, you know, my my underworld gang, a red led by Mrs. Groins, and um, and they're sort of, yeah, they are quite cute in a way. They never, obviously, they don't do 
in our presence. They never do anything too horrible and they're only planning a heist, you know, um, and, and wishing they could drill through because drilling through is much more exciting than anything else. But um, so they have to be kept in line by Mrs. Mrs. Groins. But of course, there are people worse than them. That's the point always. You have people who are worse than them. So in the previous books, you had Terence Chambers and his London gang, who are vile. You know, they were really bad people. So they had to all get killed. I mean, we had a lot of a lot of criminals were killed in the previous ones. Um, so and then, you know, there is um, whatever this plot is against Mrs. Groins. Obviously, those people are, you know, very bad indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to be. Obviously, it's all it's all a contrivance um, to keep that sympathy, because, of course, if they did anything, you know, like knock over an old lady and steal a purse, you'd stop liking, you'd stop liking them immediately. So, um, yeah, it is a bit it's a bit it's a bit of a balancing act, I suppose. Um, it's because they are. Um, oh, I don't know. There is a, I suppose there is a sort of British tradition of 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 liking sort of daft criminal. <laughs> Um, and, um, and you know, I love, I mean, there's this Denise, as I mentioned earlier, and I really wanted to develop Denise. I'd love to do more with her. Um, but her little brother, Shorty, is the, who is small, because he's young. He, he's sort of, he's the, um, he's the messenger boy for the gang. And I just love Shorty. I mean, he's obviously being brought up to be a terrible person, isn't he? But he, he's sort of, well, no respect for the law anyway. But he's, of course, he's adorable. I love Shorty very much. So it's a bit tricky, isn't it? I wouldn't love Shorty in real life. <laughs> no, but but your 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 criminals actually seem uh, sort of more honest uh, in a way because they 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 kind of own who they are. And you've got the you know the Inspector Steens of the world who um, are more two-faced, I guess. <laughs> so it's, there's, there's something uh, uh, refreshing about that. <laughs> well, he's quite deluded about himself, I suppose, Inspector Steen. Um, whereas, you know, they're, they're, no, they are very straightforward. Um, and they are, and of course, they are, you know, they are a gang. They are, they are looking out for each other to a, to a set. And the police are not, you know, the, the three policemen I've got, I love the way they have these, this relationship of the three of them. That one is, you know, has no power at all, but he's really bright and can see, you know, he's, he's always trying to work things out and he's, but perhaps being over intellectual about it. And then, you know, you've got the sort of sergeant, he's very dogged and, 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 um, and he's being pursued by this woman who he doesn't, he can't believe his fancies him, but she really does. So, um, and, and then, you know, the inspector who keeps getting the credit for doing astonishing things of, of law enforcement when he really has no idea what's going on. So he's very, very lucky and always comes out of it smelling of roses, but actually is, is clueless most of the time. Um, and in relation to each other, they, they don't look out. They are not particularly looking out for each other, whereas I suppose the criminals are, are much more tight-knit. And, and so that was quite important that Mrs. Groin's um, you know, the person who goes missing at the very beginning is one of her henchmen, and she's very worried about him. She's because she's been with him. She's had him on her books as it, and in her life for a long time, and she's and so yeah. So there is actually more emotional connection between them all than there perhaps is with the police. But Mrs. Yeah. Boyd, 
together, of course, because she she's actually very nice to all of them in their different ways. <laughs> she's very clever, of course, at sort of pushing all their buttons. And um, and so she it is actually explained to Twitten at one point in this book that he is being manipulated by her by Mrs. Groins, because Mrs. Groins always takes him into her confidence. And it it flatters him, it flatters his intellect, it flatters his ego. And he's never thought of it that way. But of course that is true. And she does help him sometimes as well. So, you know, this is, um, it seems like a very benign relationship, whereas in fact she's a criminal. <laughs> and and if he doesn't bring her to book soon, it's going. To, it will stop him ever becoming what he really wants to be, which is a, a star detective and stuff. So um, he is caught, um, caught by this. Her, her being so nice to him is actually, um, you know, a trick, a trick to a certain extent. And it, it, it's deeply before. This is very interesting. <laughs> but it, it it brings in another layer of of complexity and. You know, handled one way, it could be, you know, become very dark, like, you know, HBO premium TV kind of dark, but yet you keep it funny. And so, you, you know, as you said, no, it's, 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 this is farce. So how do you, how do you balance that using enough humor? Um, you know, you, you, you make boiled heads and penguins funny. That's not easy to do. <laughs> um, but you, yeah, you don't go over the top with the humor. But you have just enough so that, you know, uh, complex psychological manipulation doesn't, you know, have us all reaching for, for a bottle of something because it's bringing up all of our, our, our deeper issues. So how do, you, how do you balance that? I wish I knew. Um, I, think, I think this intention is all. I just keep wanting it to be as light as possible, you know, in, the, in, in, in a way. I want to pursue the... Oh, they're off again. Dogs are, oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> or something um yeah I, I try not to have the dogs disrupt my train of thought too much <laughs> and, and I, try, I really try to um um have have a sort of an end in mind obviously um you know where i want this all to end up so that stops you just you know you know you don't want it to end in some terrible um you know horrible horrible tragedy sort of thing um and i i just i don't know i take it very steadily I think I do take it each, each, each step of the way. I measure and think about. You know, I don't let anything get carried away without without me wanting it to. So I suppose it's just been taking care, really, and and having, as I say, an intention um, to uh, to keep it funny and to keep it entertaining. You know, that's the thing, I suppose. Um, yeah, but it is it is sort of. It's very hard to explain, isn't it? It's very hard to explain why it's not, it's not ghastly. And I'm sure some people might find it ghastly. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I think it's um, it's just keeping it always in mind what the what the end end product is, and not not getting. Um, so I mean, you know, there is there are feelings in it. There are and there are moments of, you know, there. I think the I think the, you know. I do try to understand them all and, and what they are feeling all the time. And and I do explain how they are feeling, I think, quite a lot. So it's not just they're not puppets, you know, they're not just being, you know, made to do things and, and without any any reason. I do always really take into account um, their personalities and their um, 
and how events will will impact them um and then make that cause the farce you know that's the point really and and and, and you do it very well i mean it, it is very well balanced with with funny and serious um and another thing that you you balance well is the um character development and setting and plot you know there's this it's probably somewhat artificial debate between are characters more important or is plot more important, but you have all three and you, you have a, a Brighton functions as the character. I mean, I, I, this would be very different if it was set in London. So it's, it's, you know, the, the Brighton's not just an arbitrary choice. Um, your characters are all well-developed, you know, three-dimensional, like, you know, you said they had feelings they're not just puppets, but you also never forget that you're writing a mystery. And so all of your threads, even the penguins have to tie in there together somewhere and make sense by the end. So you, you don't, you don't shortchange readers on any of those three. So how, how do you, but that's, again, that's not easy to do. How do you balance all that? Cause it would, it would be really easy to just, you know, have a book with fascinating characters, not doing much of anything or a really wonderful story with cardboard characters. So how do, how do you, how do you avoid those traps I don't know I don't know I mean I um yeah it's very difficult I have had a, a bit of a background in writing scripts and I think I think that must help a bit with the story element just uh, just the fact that you know in a especially writing for radio I remember you know sort of when I first started I'd have people just having conversations and stuff and and I said no people don't converse in radio in drama everything they say must be part of the plot it must be driving it must must push the understanding of the listener, as it in those cases, forward. You know, you've got to so so no no conversation is or no dialogue doesn't drive things forward in some way. Um, and I think that's that was a useful bit of training, I suppose, to 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 do that. So I think I think maybe I do feel that maybe I could relax a bit more and have sort of slightly less. <laughs> Less of a sense that you're always having to cling on to this plot and don't, you know, don't miss anything, don't miss anything, because it could all be it could all be tied up together at the end, you know. So I, I mean I think you know you can't you can't read it tired, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to be really paying attention. Um and when I'm reading, I often read tired and think, oh no, I've got to go back. <laughs> I really didn't take any of that in. So I I, I should allow for that a bit more, I think. But um, so, you know, that's the sort of, and I, and I do believe that characters make, have to make the plot. They have to be, it has to be, otherwise they're not funny. If, it, if something happens to someone um, who doesn't deserve it or they haven't sort of in some way, you know, you haven't in some way laid something down, it's not funny. So it, you, you have to make it that, um, that the, you know, it's the worst thing someone would want to happen or something, you know, is, is then what happens. So yeah, there are sort of um, they are all interdependent, aren't they? Really, um, but I'm very glad you enjoy that. And I and the the town. I mean, I put in topographical references to you know different streets and things, and I know that only people who live here will give a, give anything any interest have any interest in that. But it's sort of important to me that I know that at this point someone will be going uphill or, in the, you know, I mean, actually, I read a book, very good, a very good novel set in Brighton 
by Robert Goddard. He's he's a really good crime novelist. He's written lots and lots of things, and he was he got the the um, a diamond dagger a couple of years ago when I went to the crime writers dinner. And um, so he's a you know anyway he set a book in Brighton. And he did say, you know, he acknowledged that he got a lot of help because he doesn't actually live here. And and reading it, I suddenly thought, no, that's downhill. Why would he? <laughs> went along this road you know it's down this and uh, in for a moment he lost all credibility you know it's outrageous to to judge someone on such a tiny thing but you know I I won't make that sort of mistake because I I I sort of just know what I'm I'm writing about so that's that's quite nice and I love I mean one of the things I love about writing these books is is sort of uncovering the town that's gone, you know, because obviously a lot of, say, even around the police station where I've, I have set my police station in the right place, um, but I don't really describe it much because I sort of think it's fine that people should have, you know, when they say you go upstairs to these offices and you go there's downstairs to the cells and the front desk is by some pillars and all that. I think that's enough for people to sort of fill in the rest and, and feel they they ha- are getting the geography of the place, um, but around where it is, of course, um, is now has been completely rebuilt. There's an area that was that was completely rebuilt, so it's all pedestrianised on one side. And I have Twitten setting off for a, for a driving lesson. He's a terrible driving. You know, he's terrible at driving. But he sets off for his driving lesson down a road that doesn't exist anymore. You know, and I, I, you know, no one will pick that up. It doesn't, it isn't important, but it's sort of important to me, you know, that I know that at that time there was a road, there was actually a road down to the seafront there and that, you know, he would turn left and go along. So that's, um, that's, that's all been part of getting to know Brighton at that time and put some of the um, buildings in that have gone. As in the third book, there was that um, skating rink that has gone and long gone, and it's an ice has their ice shows there, and I've just been reading about for the next one. Um, they um, they they've always had party conferences. The political parties have always come to Brighton in the autumn, um, usually alternating with other other venues in seaside, usually seaside towns. But in 1957, both the Conservative Party and the Labour Party came to Brighton, and they they had the conferences at this. Ice Stadium, which was which was sort of boarded over for conferences and things, so they all brought something going a bit cold. I don't know, maybe they take the ice away. I don't know what. They do. well, I like to think of the ice underneath, but <laughs> I expect they just loved it. But um, you know, it was a major venue. There's this huge venue that everyone's forgotten about because it was put, torn down in the sixties. So that sort of thing, I really, I really enjoy sort of reimagining. You know, imagining. Um, it as it was and so far I don't think anyone's ever said oh no that's completely wrong so but you know but things are sort of appearing it's like a dream you know that sort of I read as I read more about it I think oh you know this cinema here there's cinema there there loads of cinemas all over town and of course there are you know it's almost nothing of that left um they've become casinos or carpet warehouses whatever you know but they're the the fronts are still very clearly um cinema-esque so it's it's um it's it's just fun to do that you've obviously researched 1950s brighton well and you know a lot of us 
probably don't know as much about the 50s as we think. You know, we, we get our ideas from reruns of... of <laughs> <laughs> your Yorkies are agreeing with me. You know, we don't know anything about the fifties. <laughs> um, so how how do you how do you put in enough details, like you know the the road that Twitten would have to drive along, which is important because that that helps us see. Okay, that's what Brighton was like. But on the other hand, you don't want to put in so much research that it shows that you did research. I mean, you're not writing a travel log or an encyclopedia. Um, and I guess it's kind of like with the humor. You got to put in just enough. But if you overdo it, then that kind of ruins the whole thing. So how, how, do, you, how do you find that balance? Well, I, th- I do like to, um, yeah, I do drop in a lot of, say, brand names and things. But I think, I think that's, yeah, it really is. It really is a, a question of judging, isn't it? How much to do? Um, I I think every time you put in something, it has to do sort of two jobs. It has to be it obviously does the job of being true. You know that it is actually something that came or that, or that you're making up that's accurate about the fifties. So it should kind of come and come as a bit of a surprise. Um, but it's also got to be important in the plot. So. So, um, for example, the man who runs the shop, the man who runs the um, the, the department store, is a, is is not a major plot point, but he is, you know, confused as to why people are buying one television instead of another. And so we have the names of those televisions, and people who know British brands would know would remember those slightly, Pie and Murphy as as um, British made televisions of that era. And, and so I can put them in, but I'm not giving, I'm not saying if one went into the, into the, I'll just freeze them. Shut up. <laughs> if one went into the television department, one would see a pie, Diana Murphy says it, you know, and just sort of laying it out like that. And it would only serve one purpose there. It would just say, I've done research, I've done research. Whereas, you know, if he's thinking, why the pie and not the Murphy, or whichever way around it is, or why the Murphy and not the pie, then it's sort of actually part of his character. It's part of his, you know, and it actually is why he's so attracted to the idea of this motivation research for shopping, um, because there must be um, a, a reason that one speaks to customers and not the other. So it's there for, it's there to support a theme. It's there to show I've done some research and it tells you quite a lot about him as well. So I think that that's why, you know, that's why, that's how you smuggle in. <laughs> you smuggle <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, hey, you know, I know, but it's because I've seen adverts for all these televisions and I've made notes and you, think, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to get that in. But, you know, you do it in a way that you hope will, you know, serve it'll be yeah, smuggled in under another, another seeming to serve a different purpose. So you use something fun when you're actually, oh, oh there's my cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I make a very good launching pad for my cat. She's now up on the um, bookshelves um, and I'm not going to help her get down. So she's, she doesn't care. She's like totally ignoring me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Um, so, um, I was just saying that you you use a lot of of historical and and geographical um, detail and research to kind of I don't want to say t- 
teach the reader something. You're not setting out to teach us, but there, there are important themes and lessons in your work that are still, you can notice those and look for those, or you can just sit down and, and read a mystery about, uh, you know, missing criminals and, and, and boiled heads. So it, it kind of works on, on two different levels, which is, uh, um, I, I know I, I keep saying this, but that's not easy to do. So, I mean, it, it, was that, I mean, is that just sort of a, a byproduct that there's um, people can get more out of it or not as they choose? Or were you, you know, aware when you were writing it, like, hey, there's a lot of stuff here that you can actually take away from this. But if it's been a long day and you just want to have some, you know, fun by the seaside with a lovable gang of criminals, you can do that too. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think you do. I, I, I say that reviews, obviously, as you know, you know, anyone reviewing crime novels have got a very limited amount of space and they don't have, you know, they'll usually review about eight books or something and, and we're lucky to get reviewed at all. Um, and, but it is crushing sometimes. You think that no one has spotted this major theme in this book um, or, um, or, you know, they, but it's, you know, it is wonderful that anyone reviews you at all and says, and even tells people roughly what's in the book. So I, that's all you can really hope for. Um, but yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely put in. Um, yeah, because it's, I mean, I've always liked, I've always liked a theme. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and the, I mean, the thing is that people are improbably clever in this world of mine that I've, you know, so Twitten is very, very clever. Mrs. Groins is, is not intellectual, but she's extremely clever. And then into this one, I have Adelaide Vine, who is a character in, um, the second novel, she comes back and and she very nearly, you know, she does a lot of damage and she is super, super clever. She is super, super clever. And um and she she really does rattle um twit and um and she, she yeah. So I think I think this um maybe that's the thing, you know that so I do get to explain a few things because I've got clever people explaining things in the book, really. <laughs> Um, probably how I how I get some of it in. Um, the other thing is the, the sauciness in this one because you know for um you know Twitten is boarding at um at this house Mrs Thorpe's house which he moved into in the last book and Mrs Thorpe is is lusting after um, Sergeant Brunswick in a way that is inexplicable to him and um and so there was there is a sort of slightly saucy element in so it's a bit fruity you know there's a sort of fruity element in this one that's never been in it before um which is and it's quite nice as well because the the traditional sort of british comedy way of having a sort of slightly older woman who's who's sort of um you know sexually active um would always be so horrible it would always be so patronizing it would be so ghastly and and of course i very much you know identify with her. I, think she's, I think she's great and and i really want i'm cheering her on you know because she she keeps on sort of trying her luck with him and uh and i i think that was a nice thing to do uh, was sort of rehabilitate that sort of horrible you know or change it change how that that would be seen that um because she's she's actually a very very admirable person, I think. Because <laughs> you, you do have the the women in your in your books are actually very admirable. They're um, 
I, I appreciate that they are um, not shrinking violets um, unless they are pretending to be for other reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm very proud of the, the, the villainesses in this of, I think, of, of, of carrying the whole thing, really. <laughs> I love them. I love them all. Miss Seibert, who is the um, the, the the psychologist, um, is I think my favourite person in all the books. I think I love her so much. Um, she made me laugh so much. So I really enjoyed writing her. Now you you mentioned the next book. So you're you're working on book number five. Well, it's all in a bit in abeyance at the moment. I think we talked about this last year about, you know, um, getting prematurely cancelled and things. I don't know if I'm going to get to write any more. So I've done a bit of research, but I haven't written the next one yet. So we'll just have to see whether that party conference one gets, um, you know, gets gets done. It's a bit sad. But I think with COVID and everything, it's all been a bit oh, weird. Yeah, true. <laughs> writing in the last year. Have you, have you, have you written something this year? Um, I wrote a couple of short stories. Um, I had an idea for um, a medical thriller that was not part of my series that I'd sold my agent on until I started um, hearing a lot of the uh, conspiracy theories that sounded a lot like what I was writing. And I decided I didn't actually want to write a conspiracy theory. So um, I may go back to the drawing board on that one. <laughs> mm, mm, that was annoying. When the reality gets in the way of the good story. Yes. Um, <laughs> There's nothing I could have written that would have been weirder than some of the stuff that's floating around out there in the news. I'm like, okay, maybe not this year. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's very sensible. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been um, um, recently. I, I I well, I had I used to live in two places. I have my house here in Sussex. I also had a flat in London and my flat in London was sort of my office. And so I just hived off all the, all the sort of archive and all that sort of thing it was all up in London and it was in filing cabinets and boxes and things up there. And I sold that flat uh, earlier this year, which was a great relief. I wanted to and all the stuff, including lots of book, a lot of books. I had a library in, up there as well. Nope. And I clothes and things that all went into storage. And I've just spent the summer sorting through everything. I went, I did all the clothes, all the books, which took a lot of extra, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of work and a lot of trips to charity, you know, thrift shops and stuff. And, um, and then I started on the archive and I've just finished, I finished it yesterday, um, going through every single piece of paper that was in that archive and deciding what, with how to, how to categorize it how to box it up, how to file it, where to put it. Um, and, and the effect has been really extraordinary. I mean, that doesn't even cover the books that I've written recently because they weren't ever bits of paper. You know, the things I've written recently have all been files. It was just sent from my computer and the proofs have been files that have been sent from someone else's computer and, and all the reviews and stuff. I just keep on, you know, I download, I keep, I don't print them out. So it's not even all that, but it's tons of stuff. And because I've been writing professionally for 30 years um, and I was a writer on newspapers. So I've obviously kept every word I've ever written. Oh my goodness. So at the moment, I don't feel too badly about not writing anything <laughs> right now because honestly, I think I should be stopped. I think someone <laughs> stopped me. I have done too much. 
you know, when I look at it, I just say, oh, my goodness, you mad woman. Why did you write all this? So, um, so you know, and I've stopped as I was going through things. I've read old radio plays and old things. And, um, you know, it's very satisfying. It's very, it's very good. For, you know, it's good for the ego. You think, oh, great. Look, I've done all this. But it's also a bit chilling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my Lord. What have I done? So, <laughs> so I'm sure I'll work up to really wanting to, um, you know, I'd love to carry on with these characters because I love them. I love these characters. And I would so love to bring back some of the people who are in this. And you can't bring them back immediately. So that's, you've got to think a couple of books ahead before you can bring them back again. So I, I and I do have a lot of ideas I haven't haven't used yet. Um, and there are characters to bring in such as parents. I mean, the, the mother of Inspector Steen who lives in Kenya, and I've written quite a lot about, you know, just along the way about her. Um, she would be a great character to bring in. She's she's really awful. She's awful. <laughs> she's so awful, and she's so mean to him. And um, and I think that would be marvelous to bring her her in at some point. And she's angry with him. I don't know if you won't remember this, but it's just a joke early on. Is that um, he visited her in Kenya once, and um, <laughs> and her boyfriend came was coming over to see her. With a lion, the lion um, uh, sort of um, thing over him, you know, sort of lion skin. So Steen shot <laughs> someone, <laughs> and she's never forgiven him. So yeah, so, <laughs> he's in the undergrowth of a lion skin on him. You know, what do you expect me to do? So, um, so there's a sort of deep rankling thing going on there that that could come out, and um, and she's quite posh. She's very posh. He was, he was. His mother was posh and his father was a, a policeman. And so they, they were not a happy couple. And the policeman died in a, in a horrible accident on Hammersmith Bridge. And, um, and so he was brought up by his mother, who then went to Kenya. So I love the idea of bringing her in. And Twitten's parents, who we've never met, we know that his father is this world famous criminal psychologist. So, you know, if you want to get another clever person in there, it's obvious it should be Twitten's dad. Um, and I assume they have a nice relationship, but, but they oh, it could be great. could be great. But, you know, so I do, there, there are things like that are hanging there, just waiting, waiting to be plucked. So I, I would love to do that. Um, yeah. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that you get the green light to go on because these are... Um, fascinating people that I'm sure we would all love to read about for, for years and years and years to come for, for another 30 years, perhaps. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but now, um, fortunately we can read Psycho by the Sea um, and that'll be available. Uh, do, do you know the dates that it'll be available? Sure. I know it's November. Um, I don't have, oh, I don't have it in front of me actually. I think it's early November. I think, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Will it be about the same time in the US and the UK? No, the UK came out. It's already out in the UK. It comes out. Oh. What we do is we have it out in, in hardback here in the summer. So it came out in June, I think. But the paperback won't come out until the following year. So oh. um, so the June so the paperback comes out next next summer. Whereas in the US, 
um, both have published on the same at the same time. Okay. I think it's a very, I think it's good. I think it's good to do that. Uh, I suppose we get two goes, but I think that, I mean, I think I, I think there is a market for hardbacks and I suppose it goes into libraries and that kind of thing, but it feels as though the delay, it's more a delay, you know, until next year when when finally the paperback is, um, is, is published because that's when I think most people will buy it um, and will think about buying the others. So um, I think we've got some sort of ebook deal on at the moment for all four. So that's nice because that includes, <coughs> it includes the new one. Um, so that, that, that means that that's sort of um, um, given the same, same sort of status as, uh, as the first three. <coughs> the covers are still great. I'm very, very happy with the, you know, with the art. Have you seen the, the cover for, um, have you seen this cover, this one? Yes, that's that's the one I have, and you're right. They are they are great. They're they're very they're very retro. I I like them. <laughs> um, and it uh it also says November 2021 on the spine. So uh yes, November 2021 is when it's coming out. I just noticed that. <laughs> but thanks to the magic of the internet, if anyone would like a hardcover, they can certainly order that from a UK bookshop, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty so. Yeah, I don't know how long it time to take to come, but so, yeah, it's true. It is. It is available in the UK. Hmm. And um, where can readers connect with you if they want to find out more about the uh, Constable Twitten and Mrs. Groins and the uh, people's people's posh mothers? <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't do any social media. That's a trouble. I think it was when I was doing some um, things with the US last year that someone pointed out that I, I was on, because I had joined Twitter briefly, and she said, you've got 16 followers or something. <laughs> <laughs> because I only ever put one thing up, and I thought, no, it's not for me. And I, I couldn't even find it on anything. I've obviously deleted it from, from all my apps and things. <clears throat> so who knows what's happening on my Twitter account? I haven't looked at it for at least a year. Um, but um, so I have got a website, which is lintrust.com. And Lintrust or one no dot and lintrust.com. And um, and people can write to me um, at info at lintrust.com um, in that way. And obviously contact the publisher, which is Bloomsbury um, as well. But I don't do I don't do social media. I just I never got into it. I always thought it was a bit scary, you know, that they could get you into all sorts of trouble, which of course it does. It gets me <laughs> trouble all the time. So um and um, you know, I just I don't think I could give my time to it. But do you do it? Do you do you do a lot of tweeting and Facebooking and things? I do. I have cut back some um, just because I started a new day job, and so I actually have to go to an office now. But um, I admit, when I was uh, um, home during the uh, height of the quarantine, I was on social media kind of a lot because I was a way to keep connected um, with others. Um, now that I'm seeing people in person and actually work in a building where we're not allowed to have cell phones, it's um, kind of easier to wean yourself off of it. So <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that happened. Um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, during, I think it's very interesting because I just ended up talking to the same sort of quite small set of people, but a lot, you know, we would talk for an hour and a half at the time. And, and it would be, you know, we'd always be keeping in touch with a, a certain set of people. And so I have no, you know, I'm now finding out what other people were doing, but I, I didn't, I couldn't spy on them, which is what I was doing. <laughs> I couldn't spy on them through Facebook and see what they were doing. Um, 
I just had to find out, I have to find out now um, what they were all doing during it. But um, it was, I, I, I now I'm so confused. I mean, we, we've sort of come out of it here in a, in a rather odd way, because everyone says we shouldldn't have, and, 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 and it's, it's a false, false sense of security. But it almost does feel like it's happened and it's over. And, and now I can't really make sense of it. I, I was very, I, you know, I was really on top of things during, <laughs> during it. And I really did understand why I couldn't see people. And I was, you know, naturally very fearful. And, I, and I've been very good about mask and all that. <clears throat> and, um, and now I just think, where did that, you know, where did that year go? Where did that, what happened? Um, and I feel vaguely guilty that I haven't done things that I've just sat at home for a long time. I have, I, you know, it was all right for me. I was very lucky. I was just very lucky. I mean, I think writers generally, if you're a full-time writer, you know, you, you, it doesn't really affect you. I mean, for the first first big section of it, I was writing this book. And and then, you know, I suppose up to Christmas and, and round, I was just very, I was just enjoying reading and things. I read a lot of, I read a lot of books. Um, I read a huge number of books. And I sort of feel... This is my sort of um, reward for years of having them, having, you know, lots of books around. I just actually sit and reading them at last. It's really lovely. <clears throat> a, a lot of people um, did that. Um, even the, uh, actually, there were, there were a lot of social media posts about people's uh, pandemic reading. They were, they were uh, working through those uh, TBR piles and, uh, um, um, cozy and traditional mysteries kind of got a, a boost because people were reading things that were more comforting than what they'd been reading before. And so um, books like Constable Twitten and, and other things that aren't, um, you know, dark and dreary and uh, had a little humor actually gained in popularity because people needed a little of that in their their lives when they were so cut off from other people. So I'm really, I'm very much in that. I really felt that myself and really didn't, uh, you know, there are lots of things that I've, you know, piles of, of, of um, DVDs that I know have got violence and things in them, and I've just avoided them. I watch Paddington, you know, I watch things that are really sort of sweet and and funny, and you know, so Shit's Creek I know did incredibly well everywhere. <laughs> so sweet, it was so sweet, it was so nice. Um, the here we've got, um, <clears throat> I think he he has done well in the states as well. This um, Richard Osman, the book of Thursday Murder Club, yes, which. It was a it was huge here, but he's very famous here because he's on television a lot. Oh. Um, he's a he's a quiz he's sort of on quizzes and he's he's very nice. He comes across extremely nice well on television. And he's clever and the books are nice. You know, they're 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 really pleasant, but they have a good plot. You know, they're good mystery, they've got a mystery. It's more about the characters than about the plot, I would say, in, in his case. Uh, but the characters are great. So, you know, you really get a lot out of them. And it's been, I think it's been very encouraging for cosy crime, the co whole cosy crime um, genre that he's been so successful. Um, but as, as you say, it's because we can't take, bear too much reality at the moment. Um, well, I was reviewing the new one. He's got a second one has just come out and I was reviewing it for The Guardian. And I suddenly remembered this wonderful um, quote from Jane Austen, let other, pe let other pens dwell on guilt and misery, you know, and I, and, um, and so I put that, I put that in it because I, and I, and I said, and they do. I said, 
think that when you're writing you are as, as close to the material as anyone's ever going to be you are as affected by the material as anyone's ever going to be I see I see jokes in things that people are never going to see because I'm just um, too close I'm very close to it um, I couldn't write something that was I have written I've written things that were I've written some monologues in the past that were quite well, they would say bittersweet was what they would be called. Um, and I don't particularly like that expression, but but they were meaningful and about quite serious things. But the people themselves were quite funny. You know, they would have a funny way of expressing themselves or something. And they would be quite tear, tear jerky, you know, in a way there would be real sadness in them. Um, that's as far as I'm prepared to go. <laughs> because it gets to me you know it gets to me so badly and I've done a little bit of horror and the little bit of horror I did was as far as I was prepared to go with that as well you know because I, I you have to protect yourself and right. I honestly I, I think how could anyone write this how could anyone write something so ghastly it how I'll let that and in a way I don't think you should let it out I think if you can think this don't tell anyone <laughs> if you if you can think this, don't pass it on because now someone else will think that and it'll, it'll spread, you know, just if you think of something. Because I often, I, not at the moment, but I have had periods when just before waking up properly, I've seen horrible things happening to my dogs. You know, I've seen, you know, terrible accidents and things, you know, occurring. And, and I, oh, oh, you know, and I wake up screaming. Um, and um, I, you know, don't write about it. <laughs> Don't put it out there. You know, I think it's almost a moral duty not to, to not to pass that on. Um, but certainly, I wouldn't do it to myself. You know, I just think I, I need to be um, need to survive. You know, so um, deal with it as much as you can, but no more. <laughs> Don't push it. Don't push it to, to you know guilt and misery and violence and you know there's terrible violence you get in a lot of horror novels I just don't want to you know oh no <laughs> <laughs> I love the puzzle I do love the puzzle I love the who did it and why you know that and that is uh, it's such a basic I think nearly all fiction nearly all great fiction actually is crime you know it is about who did what and why you know is what you you're, you want to find out when you start reading any any great work, and um, you know Hamlet, it's a crime crime novel, a crime story. You know what happened? How did the father? How did his father die? You know, it's just just you just want to resolve that, and you feel better if you resolve it. So you've got to have that. Um, you have to have things satisfactorily resolved, and if you can have a laugh along the way, I think, well, great. <laughs> Well, you have certainly given us laughs along the way um, with Psycho by the Sea um, and your other Constable Twitten uh, mysteries, and you have actually managed to uh, give us something to think about without being overwhelmed by it. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're very kind. You're very kind. It's lovely to talk to you. Uh, and, and thank you uh, for coming back uh, to talk to me again uh, today. I enjoyed chatting with you. Well, thank you. No, it's been great. Thank you. 
And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Lynn Truss, author of Psycho by the Sea, the fourth Constable Twitten mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.